You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. When I was doing the research for the episodes on the contested election of 1876, the episode on My History Can Beat Up Your Politics called The Congress Counts, where we talk about the counting of electoral votes. Um, I was looking into that disputed election. Of course, there was a flurry of cartoons, particularly from Harper's Magazine, but other places. And they're a great way to get insight into how politics were viewed at the time, the kind of emotional tenor of politics at the time. Harper's, of course, was pro-Hayes and anti-Tilden. That means, in other words, they were pro-Republican, anti-Democrat. And I noticed a cartoon with a bunch of people running down the street, uh, one with a top hat and a bag of money. <laughs> In that cartoon, the Democratic National Chairman, Congress a- Congressman Abraham Hewitt of New York, dispatched John Hoffman, former New York governor, who's sprinting while carrying orders for himself and Senator William Barnum of Connecticut to buy or count one more electoral vote for Democrat Tilden. So they're going down there to corrupt the election is the key. And that's fine, and that's in line with other cartoons that I saw. But there was a short man in the background, you know, running along with him. And it is kind of the way it happens sometimes with this cast. I wanted to know more about the story of this guy, this obscure little figure. You know, who was he? And... It turned out to be a treasure trove. It was a heck of a story. The man in the cartoon is John Morrissey. And he's a former champion prize fighter, hence his broken nose in the cartoon. But he's also the head of the Irving Hall political machine in New York City. Now, there's a reason that Thomas Nast, the cartoonist, is including him, John Morrissey, in this cartoon. It's that He needs to tie Samuel Tilden to Tammany Hall, that evil political machine that was so ill-regarded at the time in late 19th century politics. But it's hard to do with Samuel Tilden because he's a Democrat. But he's the governor who took on Boss Tweed and put him in jail. He took on Tammany. So the way to do it for cartoonist Thomas Nash, is to find this other figure, Morrissey, who was originally with Tammany Hall, but now headed up his own political machine, a rival organization called the Irving Hall Political Machine. Morrissey was a longtime supporter of Tilden, and since Morrissey had a former affiliation with Tammany Hall, he represented enough political corruption to put him in the cartoon. It was a weak connection for those nuanced in New York politics, but at the same time, it was enough for Nast. Morrissey was no saint, but he does have an interesting story. His rise from Irish boxer 
to political head and multimillionaire is interesting and provides insight into New York City politics in the late 19th century. And it's interesting if you want to understand American politics in the late 19th century because New York had so many electoral votes and so much of the American population was in this one city that the politics of New York City was in many ways the politics of the nation. Several elections turned on New York, and of course, 1876 was one of those. We think of Tammany Hall controlling at least some of the votes in New York City and New York State. We think of them as one mind, one group, one machine. And it was organized, but it was also conflicted at times, particularly after its leader, Boss Tweed, was jailed in 1872. John Kelly was the man who succeeded Boss Tweed, but Morrissey battled him for control of the Democratic Party in New York City. And in 1875, Morrissey broke with Kelly and formed his own political machine, which would become known as Irving Hall. Morrissey was born in Ireland in 1831 and immigrated and came to Troy, New York, as a youth working in a factory. But he did more. He also joined a street gang, and he was pretty good at fighting. He worked as a cargo thief and as a collection agent for Irish crime bosses in Troy. Before he was 18, he had been indicted twice for burglary, once for assault and battery, and once for assault with intent to kill. Along with his criminal and ferocious fighting abilities, Morrissey also displayed ambition, teaching himself to read and write while working as a bouncer in a brothel in Troy. After spending two months in jail, he left for New York City. So good was he in those gang fights that he moved to New York City in 1849 and became a professional prize fighter. Now, you have to understand, at this time, prize fights aren't like, you know, glamorous and 15 rounds and they ring a bell. Prize fights were bare-knuckle events with rounds lasting until one man fell down and matches ending only when one boxer could not return on his feet to the center of the ring. Purses could be in the hundreds, and eventually, for people like Morrissey, would get to the thousands. A lot of money in the 1850s. In 1853, Morrissey became the American boxing champion by defeating Yankee Sullivan in 37 rounds. Yeah, you heard that right. 37 rounds. (laughs) There was big money in the prizes for an Irish immigrant. But he also found steady income as a shoulder hitter for Tammany Hall. Shoulder hitter was the guy that would go around and enforce the machine's will with intimidation. He became famous for his fighting, for his tenacity. One time Morrissey was in a saloon brawl and he and another guy knocked over a stove while they were going at it. And Morrissey is pinned over the coals. And smoke starts coming from his clothes that are on fire, filling the room. He perseveres and ends up winning the fight. From then on, he's nicknamed Old Smoke. Like so many in the 1850s, from New York, he goes to California. And he didn't find much gold there, but he won a lot of money gambling and as a professional prize fighter earning $4,000 prize and 1000 from a side bet. A lot of money in that time. 
And like any good Irishman, he used the opportunity to take a stab at the British as well. He was unsuccessful, though. He got a armed schooner and a crew of hoodlums and tried to take the gold-rich Queen Charlotte Islands off the coast of British Columbia. But he returns to New York. And upon his return to New York, this is where some of the movie you may have seen, Gangs of New York, Daniel Day-Lewis, comes into play. Though Morrissey is not represented by any of the characters in that movie, he's kind of represented in different ways by several characters. You know, the movie features um, a very, you know, pugnacious boxing fellow who could be Morrissey, except he's way too much of a, a, a second fiddle man to be, uh, be Morrissey. Morrissey wanted to lead, not, uh, not follow. But it's Morrissey who does kill the character that is best represented by Daniel Day Lewis's character in that movie, Bill the Butcher Poole. He was a champion boxer. And in 1855, uh, Bill Poole was leading the Bowery Boys, which was an anti-immigrant, know-nothing party, and it was the enforcement arm for them. It's going to be in a street brawl between Morrissey's Dead Rabbits gang and Bill Poole's Bowery Boys that Poole is killed, likely by Morrissey or, or someone near him. So it's kind of the exact reverse of what happens in the movie, but that's all right, you know, a little license, right? After this, in 1858, Morrissey's going to pocket $5,000 for making a side bet in a boxing match that he's in, and he retires from the boxing ring as the champion. He uses those winnings to become the owner of several saloons and gambling houses, pays the police to ignore his legal gambling operation. Reportedly, Morrissey becomes a millionaire within five years. He also invests his money in real estate, and in 1863, he opens the Saratoga Springs Racing Track, which helped revitalize the sport in the Civil War North. But he decides to jump into politics directly, and he's elected as a Democrat to the first of two terms in Congress between 1867 and 1871. And he's becoming one of the most important politicians in Tammany and New York. I mean, people are beginning to take notice of him well before he becomes a congressman on the national scene. He was so powerful within the Irish community in New York, and this was known by people outside New York that Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln used to tell the story of a Tammany man announcing his upcoming marriage, but who was met with a troubled look from a fellow member. Ain't you glad to know that I'm getting married, said the first man. Of course I am, but have you asked Morrissey yet? So he was even on Lincoln's radar. Morrissey is smart, though, and he begins to see that Tammany Hall's in trouble. And in 1870, before revelations of the Tweed Ring corruption became public, Morrissey joins a faction called the Young Democracy that revolted against Boss Tweed's rule and wants to make Tammany Hall a more democratic organization. Tweed learns of their plot to to unseat him and use policemen to prevent young democracy members from entering the building on the night of their planned coup. The rebel organization folds, and Morrissey's unable to run 
for re-election for Congress. But he's starting something now and in 1874. Now with Tweed locked up, he begins to battle with John Kelly, his replacement, and he questions and he questions in particular the wisdom of Tammany Hall's selection of in 1874, with Tweed locked up now, Morrissey's a powerful figure and begins to battle with John Kelly, who is Tweed's replacement. Particularly, doesn't like the selection of a fellow named William Wickham as the Democratic mayoral candidate. He'd rather have one of his own. He'd rather have an Irishman. Boss Kelly attempts to appease Morrissey by backing one of his friends, James Hayes, for the office of city register. But Hayes loses the race. And it's not just that, but Hayes had to pay $15,000 to Tammany Hall to run. Now, normally, you get that back if you don't win. Kelly doesn't return it. Not only that, he doesn't appoint his friend Hayes, to another position in government, which would have been standard Tammany Hall way. So Morrissey begins badmouthing Kelly on the street, claiming he'd lost touch with ordinary voters, particularly the Irish. Hi, it's Bruce. Listen, we all know the news headlines are full of wild stories, like how the world is tipping towards authoritarianism, all while somehow, simultaneously, freezing, flooding, and on fire. It's a lot to take in. But what if, instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're actually on the cusp of a better world? If I've got your attention, then I highly recommend tuning to a podcast that offers a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people. What Could Go Right is the acclaimed news podcast from the Progress Network. Zachary Carabell and Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from climate change to politics, and make the case for a brighter future. Season 5 features fascinating guests like democracy scholar Yesha Munk on the hidden perils of identity politics, and NPR anchor Steve Inskeep about the importance of talking to people who differ from you, and what Abe Lincoln learned from those conversations that helped him unify the country. It's time to ditch the doom-scrolling polarization and start focusing on some of the things going right. So check out What Could Go Right wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. 
Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. One day, Morris, he goes to visit the mayor, but he's barred from entry because he lacked a calling card. Uh, those days, that's what you needed to, uh, to go visit someone, particularly a high official. And he replies to the office staff, well, give my compliments to his honor, Mayor Wickham, and ask him to tell Billy Wickman that when John Morrissey has time to put on French airs, he may call again. Morrissey doesn't stop there. He's really offended. And he comes a few days later dressed in formal attire, a swallowtail coat, white kid gloves, patent leather shoes, carrying a large book. And he informed someone who asks, I've just brought a French dictionary to help me talk to our dandy mayor. I'm going in full dress to make a call. For now, that is the style at the Hotel Wickham. No Irish need apply now. This time, Mayor Wickham. <laughs> the mayor warms him welcoming and apologizes for the understanding. But insulting Tammany started a major war. Kelly's not amused. He takes Morrissey's behavior with the mayor as a personal affront. He revives a new an, an old committee, the Tammany Hall Committee on Discipline, usually inactive, to investigate Morrissey. Later this summer, the committee determined that party discipline's weak in Morrissey's district, and he'd been working against the interest in Tammany Hall, and Morrissey's ejected. So he, follow, he founds his uh, rival machine, the Irving Hall Democracy, which soon attracted Samuel Tilden and other major and wealthy New York Democrats dissatisfied with Tammany Hall. Morrissey also runs in, 1870, runs in 1875 for New York State Legislature and wins in Paul Tweed's old district. <laughs> when critics charged that he could only be elected in such a safe district, in 1877, he runs and wins in another district, upsetting a well-known Tammany politician, August Schell. Had Tilden reached the presidency, we may know even more. He might have had a greater role in that presidency, in that White House, perhaps. Um, but, but that is the end of Morrissey's career. In 1878, a few months into his second legislative term, Morrissey died. Quite an American political character. I want to thank you for subscribing to the premium podcast. And um, it, it helps a great deal to support what I'm doing here. Thanks for listening. We all know how important it is to keep your eye on the money and not just your own. Stay on top of the latest financial and market news with Yahoo Finance, a podcast that releases new episodes almost every day. You'll hear a brief overview of the biggest news in the financial world, all in three minutes or less, right after markets close. Check out Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts. That's Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts.